As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Show floor. My name is Jason Schreier, and I am here in the behind the scenes of Obsidian's little booth here, where they are showing The Outer Worlds, their new RPG, and I am sitting with co-game director Leonard Boyarski. Hello, Leonard. How Hello. are you? Hello. Good. How are you doing? It is uh, good to see you here. It is good to see your game. You guys must be excited to finally get to show this thing off in a meaty, substantial way, yeah? Yeah, it's been wonderful. It's, it's really nice to see people's reactions to it. Are people generally digging it? That's what they're telling us. That's what, well, <laughs> if assuming they're telling the truth and they're not on their dialogue trees, they're not choosing the lie. <laughs> exactly. No, they, they. A lot of people are are giving us really good feedback on it. It seems to be being very well received, which is always gratifying. Yeah, I mean, this is the Fallout New Vegas spiritual successor, or more accurately, because you worked on the original Fallout games, <laughs> the Fallout spiritual successor that it seems like people are looking for, which is really cool to see. Yeah. Um, so you actually started Obsidian a few years ago. Before that, you were on Diablo for a long time. I was actually yep. curious to ask what it was like transitioning from like action RPG hell, isometric hell, to <laughs> literally hell, to literally, um, yeah. to like suddenly going back to your roots and going back to post-apocalyptic or Fallout, sem- like sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. It was really, uh, really great. Um, you know, my time at Blizzard was fun, but... Going to Obsidian was really like going home, you know, because it's uh, we, me and Tim learned how to make games together. Well, he was making games long before me, but we started creating our own games at at Interplay, and uh, we went off and and created Troika, mm-hmm. um, and we ran that very much like with the same spirit that Interplay had, and the and the guys who created Obsidian had the same goal in mind, and they did the same thing. Uh-huh. So, and there's a lot of people there we we worked with at Interplay. There's people there we worked with at Troika. Our art director on this project was an intern for us uh, at Troika. Um, oh, so that's cool. That's yeah, so it was cool. great. Great seeing him again. He's doing a fantastic it's really job. It's just a big reunion. It is. And, you know, everybody has their own way of making games, and it's just really comfortable. It's like, it really feels like going home again. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember this. This is, you know, this is, it's very, you know, it's it feels very much like when we went back and but we're But the biggest difference, I, I would say, I mean, you know more than I do, but the biggest difference from an outside perspective is that suddenly you're making these huge 3D worlds and you're yeah, making that 2D yeah. stuff. Like, I imagine the stuff you made back in the day would take a lot less time than the giant polygonal figures you have to do today. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, sometimes, it's, I mean, the, the results are fantastic. I just have been playing it in 4K recently and it just blows me away. And I've been looking <laughs> at the game for three years now. Um, the detail that goes into it, um, but that detail comes at a time cost. Um, but that was one of the reasons uh, I originally made the decision not to go first person mm-hmm. in Fallout was because that just in 1997 you just didn't have that fidelity, and I really wanted some good detailed art, even though it was tiny because it was isometric. Um, so you know the fact that I never got to explore that kind of um, that kind of artistic style in 3D or a full th- first person 3D, you know, it's been. Uh, you know, in the back of my brain for years about like, oh, where would I take this? What kind of like, you know, fantastic, um, you know, uh, machinery with 
giant gears and pipes would I have, you know, in this kind of setting. So uh-huh. it's been really great to be able to express that finally. Yeah, well, so how many people work on The Outer Worlds and how many people worked on those original Fallout games that you were on? Uh, I think uh, the original Fallout, I think, was like 30 or 35 people. Okay. Um, that was that was the top that was at, at the height of it. Um, for most of it, I think it was closer to around twenty. Yeah. Um, it started with five of us, um, and then we made our canon with twelve people. Uh-huh. So that was that was that was tough. <laughs> that was a tough one. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, so we usually you know we've we, back in those days it was you know thirty was was the biggest. I think thirty five was as big as Troika got completely. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and so outer yeah, worlds and our outer worlds is you know seventy eighty people. 80. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 much different. Um, you can do much cooler things with that bigger group of people, but uh-huh. um, you know it was also wonderful. Um, when you're working on a tiny team, you get to do all sorts of stuff. You know, on Fallout, I did writing, I did art, I did texture mapping. You know, it's just I got to do so much actual creation of it. So it's it's gratifying in a different way. But you know, are you doing less creation now because it's more high level decision making? Well, I, I still like to think of it as creating, but yeah, because um, I do a lot of editing. I direct the writers. I've, I got to write a couple characters, but you know, I would have loved to have written a ton more. But um, you know, I'm, it's it's a guy at a certain point, especially in this day and age, you have to make the choice. It's like, okay, do I want to creatively direct the vision for a whole project, and that whole project is 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 the artistic thing I did? It's almost like you're a conductor of a symphony. Or do you want to like make this fantastic little piece of that world? Uh-huh. So at that, you know, in this day and age, you have to make that choice. And me and Tim made the choice to be directors on this, which is it's gratifying in its own way. And it's really interesting because you know, I, I we generated the original ideas for what we wanted the world to be. And then I went, Daniel Alpert was the guy who was the intern at Troika, who's now our art director. Yeah. I went to him with some very basic ideas about things I wanted to see, and um, he you know, not only fulfilled what I wanted to see, but took it in directions that I wouldn't have taken it and and actually made my original ideas that much better. Mm-hmm. So it's really, that part of it is really fascinating to yeah. see how, you know, other people run with the ideas you yeah, start and with. Yeah, other people and, can just, like, go way different directions. And you're yeah, like, oh, wow, this is super cool. Yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty neat. Um, so how did this whole project come together? Did Fergus Urquhart, CEO of Obsidian, just call you up and say, hey, we want we want you to come over here, make this game, make a new IP for us? Uh, sort of. Uh, well, they actually talked to Tim about doing it, and Tim okay. was saying, if I'm going to make this game, I have to have Leonard come over. This and is Tim Kane, your co Tim Kane, yeah. Um, he's, Tim's really good with the system stuff, and we, we do world building together. Um but he's really good at system and gameplay design, and I'm I'm really good at like story and art. So um, Tim called you up and was so like, "Hey, Tim, come on!" Yeah, Tim's like, "Let's do it," and I'm like, "Okay, let's, yeah, let's do it." And was the original pitch like, "We're going to make a Fallout spiritual successor"? Was that the idea? Um, it was just you know, let's make a let's. They really kind of wanted to see what we were going to do. They had the idea that they wanted kind of like a space you know opera kind of kind of deal. Um, so they kind of gave us that direction, but um, you know, it, it just. They they really the, their pitch to us was you know we loved we loved when you guys were together and made Fallout come over here and do something like that mm-hmm. and you know we knew we wanted to do a first person 
RPG, which which then of course puts it in the same kind of category as a New Vegas. Um, and then with all the pedigree for me and Tim and people on our team and Obsidian, you know, that's obviously kind of very much feels like a spiritual successor to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you about the scope of the game. I sure. think a lot of people have certain expectations when it comes to an RPG, an Obsidian RPG, a Fallout New Vegas spiritual successor, which is this how uh-huh. this is, is, is seen. Um, is that what people should expect? Should people expect something the size of Fallout New Vegas? Should people expect something smaller? Given It's it's smaller. Um, we, we were trying to... Um, really work within the scope of our time and our budget um and the the really great thing about it is that um it's a very handcrafted experience and people are what we're seeing a lot of is people wanting to replay it three and four times Mm -hmm. you know as soon as they're not even all the way through and they're starting to plan how they'll play it differently the next time around because there's all these besides just your dialogue choices there's what kind of build am i going to play am i going to side with with Phineas, the scientist, or am I going to side with the board? And there's, of course, other factions Who within that. Side with a corporate board? Oh my God! What well, kind of you know, narcs are playing this game? <laughs> they uh, they have their they they have their pitch they want to make to you and tell you why their their version of what they can do for the world is best. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and hopefully, it's compelling. Yeah. To, you know, we we try to we try to. I mean, obviously, there's a, you know, it's they are the bad guys. There's no getting around that. That you have to have an antagonist in the world. But we always try to give people uh, um, a grounding in reality. Even this is, it's a very absurdist kind of situation. We, mm-hmm. we love that kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, we want it to feel like if people grew up in that situation and people have been indoctrinated in that situation, how would they react? Are their motivations, do their motivations feel um, correct? Do mm-hmm. they feel like mm-hmm. this is not just like a, a signpost for your quest? Does this feel like a well-realized character? Yeah, yeah. Interesting questions all along. For for people who don't have all the quite, quite all the context, this is a, a galaxy where the corporations are ruling everything and yeah. this kind of dystopian feature where corporations are in control of every planet. And yeah. uh, it seems like... At least in this colony. Yeah, at least in this colony. Okay, there are multiple colonies. Yeah, exactly. This. Got it. Um, yeah, so, so what has been kind of the biggest challenge that you guys have faced as a team going like moving ahead on this project like over the past couple of years of development what have you guys learned over <laughs> over this project i think the the biggest challenge is what you kind of touched on earlier just how long it takes to make this kind of content these days uh-huh. you know that, that the players expect and, development and yeah and it's worth it some days some days i don't think it's worth it because it's like <laughs> it does restrict you know how how much content you could put in there yeah um, but man, does it look fantastic! <laughs> Do you wish you could be making isometric? Uh, no, <laughs> I've, no, no, no. Um, I've done quite a bit of isometric work, That's true. and I've, I'm, That's true. you know, and and because I started out as an artist, and I'm really drawn to the artistic aspect of it, and just just the immersing of people in the feel of the world that. Um, I mean, I love isometric games, but there's something about first person that you're just running around in this world and experiencing it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the game looks gorgeous. The colors, the contrast is really like unlike anything that you would expect from a game like this. It's really cool to see. Yeah, we we really tried reds to and greens. And, yeah, we tried to push it in a direction that people might not have expected. Yeah, no, it's cool to see. Um, it's it's. Seems like the type of game that I will play quite a bit. I'm very excited to play it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, is it, uh, for you, is it like... Is it more? I, wa- I wanted to get into a little bit more about the development challenge stuff and like the, sure. the amount of time that it takes to make everything. Like, are you are you going in there and and like trying to do stuff that has been proven more difficult than you thought? Like, are there things that you wanted to do but weren't able to because like everything is taking so freaking long to make all this content? <laughs> um, have your ambitions been been realized? Uh, to to a great degree. Um, it's just it was a. Uh... 
it was you know it, it was a learning experience because you know we were starting from scratch with everything mm-hmm. brand new ip um we didn't have a library of of assets um you know everything we make have a, has a very distinct look to it you know we'd have that whole robber barons in space with a little bit of art nouveau 1800s going on so it wasn't like we just buy things off the shelf um you know the everyday objects because everything had to be designed yeah, and created stuff. um the so thing that seems like it would be most challenging from my perspective is the the different quest styles and the branching quests the fact that you could go in one direction or t- like that yeah. you have to have multiple directions for every single quest yeah well luckily uh, obsidian has fantastic dialogue tools as, as you can imagine having been making har- hardcore complex rpgs all these years so that part was 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 i mean it's it's a very difficult thing to do but the tools make it make it as easy as it can be um, i just think in terms of what was the most difficult i do really think it was you know um getting the whole thing moving i mean it's like we 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 got it up and moving pretty quickly mm-hmm. but you know really dialing in how to how best to make quests in this in this world what what makes a good quest um you know how is the ship how is your ship going to work flying from what so there was all these things to figure out so what's the answer to that question what makes a good quest um a good quest has a lot of a lot of ways to finish it um and not only that, you need the player to understand what those choices are. You need to be able to have surprise in your quests, but you don't want to kind of surprise that the players like thinks they're making a really great choice, and then you know because of what they did, the orphanage burns down. You don't. <laughs> you want it to be surprising, but at the same time, you want players that could, that could to be kind of interesting. <laughs> to, but you know, if I'm if I'm playing a heroic character, yeah. I want to know what the heroic choice is, but we don't want it to be that cut and dried. So so there's all these different layers to that, mm-hmm. and um, you know, making sure that the the layout of the levels you know is really good for the quests and all that so it's just you know it's just the learning curve of getting all that up and running and going and getting like a real good cadence going to the process yeah it's cool to see because it feels like a lot of games are abandoning that sort of like multiple path uh, uh, branching scenario types of quests it feels like a lot of games are going towards a more linear route because it's so much easier to create high fidelity content yeah. if you're only making one one option for everything so yeah. it's cool to see this well, that was one of the reasons we chose not to give, well, one of the many reasons we chose not to give the player a voice was that, you know, the more VO, uh, if you do VO for the player, that's, you can't just keep adding lines and choices for the player mm-hmm. um, because there's a very, it's a finite resource. You have to go in and record all those lines, yeah. um, you know, and, and it's really difficult because, you know, the more choices you give the player, the more chance for finding things that you didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. And one of the great ways to fix that is to fix the player responses. And if you record all those, you're limiting yourself. So I think that's, that's kind of like a self-limiting thing. And on the other hand, giving the player a voice is like, you can't, find a voice that's going to satisfy everybody and and work for you know i'm playing a really sleazy evil character versus i'm playing the most heroic character in the world that the same voice isn't going to work for those Mm -hmm. and we really are all about the player being able to make the character they want and play and be able to play the character the way they want yeah so to be able to do that you know we didn't voice the the protagonist at all it's super frustrating when you pick something from a dialogue tree and you your character says something that's like slightly different or like even entirely different because you're only picking the emotion well that's a whole art and and that's a whole art unto itself yeah and there's there's some games have done a fantastic job with that Mm -hmm. um but i've never really done that and i also i think that works really good when you have a somewhat preset character even if you can tweak it and take that character different directions mm-hmm. if it has a very you're playing a character with a distinct 
either history or personality because then you're like well I'm just picking the kind of direction that this character is going to go in mm-hmm. but for us it was like we want that character to be as closest to the player yeah. as possible and not have that uh, fictional thing that we've created between the ki- the player and their character yeah I actually I want to talk about the combat a little bit I know this isn't quite your, your more sure, of a story sure. guy but I'm curious was it difficult for you um, after having worked on games with very different types of combat from Diablo to like those original isometric games to go into a first person shooter world it seems like a, a giant shock um, no not really I mean we had done Vampire mm. uh, the Masquerade mm-hmm. Bloodlines um, the which sequel was looking cool. Yeah, which was which was our first foray into that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had done that. Um, Tim had been working on um, Wildstar for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done a bunch of different of different stuff. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's not really. I don't have to worry as much about that. I get to just play it and give them feedback. I'm like, well, that's good, or it's not good. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we've got we've had people who have on the team who have had experience with first person shooters, and there's people on our team who worked on Fallout New Vegas. So there's a lot of um, expertise there. It wasn't like us trying to reinvent the wheel from scratch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but these are this is this is Unreal, right? It's Unreal. Yes. Yeah. So it's 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 starting from scratch in some ways from Fallout New Vegas, which is Unreal. Yes, so exactly. Tools and engines. Um, do you feel like it's it's difficult to compete with like other first person shooters that are out there? Like, do you feel like you you have to like make something that feels as good as like Destiny to play from a shooter's perspective? Uh, I don't think so because. It, I don't think it's necessary, and I don't think it's realistic to expect that, um, at least from us <laughs> at yeah, this yeah, point. Yeah. Because, you know, our focus is giving the player the option to play however they want, mm-hmm. whatever build they want to make. Um, you know, a game like Destiny is, like, all about, you know, the, the combat, and that's their main, main focus. Yeah, that's the core. Game. But um, we have all these other different, you know, core um, game loops, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's, there's, you know, am I going to stealth through this? Am I going to, you know... To change it up halfway through uh-huh. um, the different kind of guns you can have so there's just it's just a whole bigger set of problems than if you're making a straight ahead action game mm-hmm. um, and and for me you know those games action games are going to live or die on that yeah um, obviously well, we, we want really great feeling action but that's not the core of our game we've tried to make it more of the core of the game only because it's always fun if you have fun combat action but you know people want story and choice mm-hmm. from an Obsidian game and from me and Tim, so that's what we really focused on. Yeah, yeah, well, so bringing it back into story, obviously this is a game about player choice, but it's also a game that explores some very relevant conversation topics and very relevant yeah. political topics, corporations, and and dystopia and capitalism. I'm curious, is there something, is there like something you're trying to say with this game? Is, your, is there a message you're trying to send? Um, Ironically, when we first started this, it didn't seem quite as prescient as it does now because we started in April of 2016. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's become a little bit more pointed than we had hoped. Yeah. But we're not, you know, what we wanted to do, and we've done this always, you know, in, in our canon, it was, you know, had a lot of things about racism in there. We, we thought it'd be very interesting to treat, um, you know, there was always racial things going on with in fantasy worlds that no one really ever addresses. So we yeah. thought it'd be really interesting. It wasn't like us trying to make this statement of like, you know, we didn't think it was, it wasn't controversial at the time that racism was bad. We just thought it was interesting, you know, like, like, you know, people hate orcs. Well, what if orcs were part of society? So this is the same kind of thing. And, and, and really this is even more than being about capitalism or corporations. It's, it's really about 
um, people controlling narrative mm. and stories. Yeah. And um, if people control the story you tell yourself, then they kind of control you. Mm. Um, and it's very interesting. You know, we always love making a game where the player kind of comes from outside, and we've done that again here. So you know, Fish you're coming into this. Yeah, you're coming into this world where all these people have been indoctrinated into this way of thinking, and even the people who are rebelling against it have been brought up in that system so the ways they think about rebelling against the system is also kind of created by the system yeah. so you know the player comes in and looks around and says this is this is insane insanity um you know so that's that's really where we were at um and it just it seems a lot more prescient and pointed than than we may have originally wanted it to be i don't it's it's obviously you know talks a lot about corporations and how they are so it's that's not an accident but um you know we're all about exploring philosophical themes while having a fun great game experience uh -huh. yeah um we don't ever want it to get too heavy we don't ever want it to feel like we're lecturing people uh -huh. or that we are trying to make a very specific point uh we are very um very uh we tried really hard to make sure that no matter what character it is in the game, um, they feel like they're very realistic and they have uh, realistic motivations. Um, you know, and when you talk to the people on the board, they have a very um, realistic um, or at least understandable outlook. Mm -hmm. You might not agree with it at all, but it makes sense why they think that way. And yeah. they, when they try to recruit you, it's not just like, come be evil with us. It's like, no, here's we're doing the right thing for this colony, and here's why. Are you worried about teaching players to be fascists? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I never if, thought... I some 13-year-old kid is playing and he's like, you know what, this corporation who wants to control the narrative on this colony really has some good ideas. I do. Well, first of all, they shouldn't be playing it if they're 13 because this is going to be a mature rated oh, game. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, no 13-year-olds play M-rated games, that's for sure. Yeah, I've... I've had people come up to me and say, I played your Fallout when I was eight years old. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell were your parents doing? Um, but I digress. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, because at least what we've always tried to do, and I, I believe we've succeeded here as well, is there are there are consequences to your actions. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it is very obvious, and we, we're really, you know portray an absurdist world and and we like to portray something that feels very cartoony in that way mm -hmm. so um it's it's not a combat simulator it's not something where you feel like you're going to war with people or something of that nature it does feel very like heightened reality so i think it's 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 cartoony in that way yeah and it's um I don't know. It's that step removed from it, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious. So are you guys exploring, like, the, when you talk about controlling the narrative, it makes me think of journalism, which is a subject near and dear to my heart. Is, uh -huh. that, a, is that a large part of the game, like, controlling the media, who, who gets to run the press? Um, yeah, actually, that's now that you mentioned it, I'm like, I was going to say, I don't think so. But then I'm like, wow, we do have quite a few things that, that actually tie into that. Uh -huh. um, it's it's so funny because, you know, we the way we always have approached these in the past and the way we approach this one is we come up with some basic ideas for the world, some basic ideas for quests, some basic themes we're going to explore. And then those things grow and it kind of like naturally progresses. And so, yeah, and of course in this world it really matters who's controlling the propaganda and who's controlling the messages. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, are you guys worried? I have to ask. I know I, I know people, developers don't often like talking about the competition, but you guys are right next to Cyberpunk 2077. It's yes. right down the hall, and it feels like they're exploring some similar themes, similar ideas. You guys are beating them by a few months, so that's a good thing, but are you worried about that at all? 
Uh, I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah. Um, I think they're in a totally uh, different position than we are. You know, we're a much smaller game. There are like 500 people working on that. Yeah, we're not, we're not trying to be the most cutting-edge game. Um, they are. Yeah. I, I think it's great when they, you know, push the envelope. They push the envelope with Witcher 3. I think Cyberpunk is going to push the envelope, and I can't wait to uh-huh. see what they're doing. Um, I don't know that I want to run a team of 500 <laughs> people and try to coordinate all that. Yeah. Um, or try to... I don't know... I feel like because we do smaller games or more, um, you know, I guess to be perfectly blunt, games that are less expensive to make, yeah. we have a lot more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like if you have a game with $150 million or however much they're spending on yeah. that, writing on it, I feel like a lot more people would be a lot more concerned oh, about yeah. things we're putting into the game. Yeah, it's the same yep. same way with, like, <laughs> movies. You know, you get smaller independent films. Mm-hmm. You get, like, kind of, like, weird... Me and Tim have always loved to do weird, offbeat things. Yeah. You know, I don't necessarily want to set out to make a game. And I'm not saying they did this. But, you know, when you you know when you're making a game that costs that much money, you're, like you have to at least consider this game, how am I going to make this game appeal to the most people possible? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you, this is, talking about capitalism, this is capitalist <laughs> yeah, society. Yeah, that risk. You have, to, you have to make your money back. Yeah. So um, I'm glad they're doing it. I'd love to see it. I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad I'm not responsible for it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because from a player's perspective, it's like I'm dropping $60 on a game. Yeah. I don't care how much it costs to make. I just sure. love it biggest best game and so that's what worries me a little bit when i can, when i see like the smaller riskier games going up against like the big yeah. ball blockbusters um but it seems like you guys have the pedigree and it seems like you guys have been getting a lot of buzz so yeah it, i mean it is a concern but i feel like we have been very um there's a niche a very weird niche that that, that, that me and tim like to live within uh-huh. and i feel like that um you know our our idea or our goal has always been to to hit that and make that great game mm-hmm. um yeah. and you know that that has never been about the cutting edge mm-hmm. so i i hope you know people are expecting what we're delivering and and i think they'll be very happy with it very cool well leonard we have to wrap things up um any final thoughts you want to share with folks about the outer worlds no i hope uh, i hope they'll all uh, buy it and enjoy it <laughs> i hope yeah i hope we i hope it comes out really well good luck to you on the rest of the development and thank you again for coming on the show all right thank you Kotaku Splitscreen is an official podcast of Kotaku.com. It's produced by Kirk Hamilton, Maddie Myers, and me, Jason Trier. Kirk edits and mixes the podcast and also wrote and performed our theme song and other music. We're a part of the Fusion Podcast Network where Mandana Mofidi is executive producer of audio. You can find us on popular podcast services like Panoply, NPR One, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And we hope you'll leave us a review if you like what you hear. Find old episodes at kotaku.com slash splitscreen or email us at splitscreen at kotaku.com.